The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour uh, is the Honorable Debbie Metz, who is the chairman of the National Credit Union Administration. Welcome to the show, Debbie. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join you. Uh, let's just start with a little bit of your background and uh, your background in the financial industry and how you got to be the head of NCUA. Well, um, when I graduated from college, I went to work for the Department of Housing and Urban Development and after a few years decided that I really wanted to get involved in policy rather than policy implementation. So I moved from New York to Washington and I was fortunate enough to get a job on Capitol Hill. And um, ultimately, I worked for the Congressional Joint Economic Committee for about 10 years. I was advising members of Congress on a host of domestic policy issues, such as economic development and housing finance and state and local government finance and infrastructure financing. And um, when Bill Clinton became president, I went to work in his administration at the Department of Agriculture. And there I was the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Administration, so we established administrative policies for the department, which has about, at that time, 100,000 employees in offices all over the world. And when, in 2001, when his administration ended, um, I was offered the Democratic seat on the National Credit Union Administration Board, and it was an unexpired term. And I accepted it. I was nominated by President Bush, but it was the Democratic seat, and I was confirmed by the Senate, and I served from 2002 to 2005. And then I went to work for a credit union as the executive vice president and chief operating officer for several years. And uh, then I, I went to work for the Obama campaign for a time, and then I was on the Obama transition team, and then they asked me how I'd like to go back to NCUA as the chairman, and I said, sounded great, and I was confirmed on August 7th, 2009, and started working. I was sworn in on August 24th, 2009, so I've been the chairman ever since. Tell us a little bit about NCUA, and um, it is a kind of quasi-governmental organization, it is, is that right? It is governmental. Purely governmental, I guess. It's, it's kind of similar to the FDIC, or a lot of people may not be familiar with NCUA, so why don't you just tell us briefly uh, you know, what its portfolio is. The National Credit Union Administration is a government, a federal government agency. It's um, called an independent financial regulatory agency comparable to the FDIC, and pretty much what FDIC does for banks, NCUA does for credit unions, which is we uh, develop regulations that the credit unions have to comply with. We have examiners that examine the credit unions to make sure that they are complying with the regulations. We can take sanctions if they're not, and we have an insurance fund, and we insure credit union accounts up to $250,000 per account, just as FDIC does. 
So uh, give me a kind of a, a view of where the credit union industry is now. How many people, Americans, are, are customers, and uh, what kind of services are, are they offering that people might not be uh, aware of these days? Well, we, there are about 7,500 credit unions in the United States and about 90 million members of uh, federally insured credit unions. They're all over the country, and they provide a wide range of services very similar to what banks provide. They provide a range of loans, mortgage loans, um, auto loans. Some credit unions provide business loans, commercial loans, um, second um, home equity loans, and uh, also have a wide range of deposit options, including uh, just plain old savings accounts and IRAs, um, but very similar services to what banks offer. So have the credit unions gone through a similar, uh, I guess I'd use the word crisis, I suppose, uh, that, that banks have as far as huge loan losses and uh, there's been hundreds of banks that have been taken over by the FDIC and have failed. I mean, what, how, do, how would you compare the credit union industry with the banking industry in the last two years or so? Well, credit unions tend to be more conservative than banks in terms of their investments and their loans. So there have been far fewer credit union failures. Um, This year, to date, we've had 23 failures. Um, But the credit union system has tiers, and so there are the local credit unions, which you or I might go to, and then there's a tier on top of that of wholesale credit unions, which are kind of like the Federal Reserve for credit unions. They provide liquidity and um, check clearance and other back office um, uh, services, and those credit unions have had some serious issues in the past several years. And so we have been working to stabilize those credit unions and um, to resolve the problems confronting them. So maybe explain, because this happened in end of September, uh, mm-hmm. specifically with three of these wholesale credit unions. Is that right? So maybe describe right. what the problem was that they ran into and what you did to resolve it. Okay. Well, uh, starting in 2009, the, um, the credit unions, these corporate credit unions, we call them the wholesale credit unions, were affected by the decline in in the uh, stock market because they had over-concentration in the portfolio of mortgage-backed securities. And so two of them, the biggest two, were put into conservatorship, which meant that NCUA took them over and ran them. And we've been running them for the past several years. In September, on September 24th, we took over an additional three corporate credit unions. So we now have five that are in conservatorship. But um, what we're, our plan is to isolate what we call the legacy assets, which are the mortgage-backed securities whose value has plummeted, to isolate them and to set up what we call, um, it's a good bank, bad bank, but we're setting up, um, say, uh, a bridge corporation to take the, the good assets from those credit unions so that they can keep operating and keep serving their member credit unions. And the legacy assets, the so-called toxic assets, we are holding on to, but we're securitizing the cash flow from them, and we're going to be marketing them as securities, and we're putting a government wrap on them so they'll have um, a government guarantee, and we're going to be starting to market those this week. 
and eventually we're going to wind down those five insolvent financial institutions. And the credit unions that use them will have two years to decide if they want to get their services from a different corporate because there are 22 other corporate credit unions that are viable and hopefully will continue, or if they want to take their business somewhere else outside of the credit union community. Did this come as a surprise, or this had been building for a long time, the trouble with these three that you do? No, it didn't come as a surprise. Um, We saw it coming, and I think a lot of people in the industry saw it coming because they really were financially insolvent, and the trajectory was really going in the wrong direction. So there was no chance that they were going to recover, and it was pretty obvious. Did, did this cost the taxpayer some money, or did you already have enough money in the insurance fund to cover these three? No, I'm really glad you brought that up because it's not costing the taxpayer money. The taxpayer's money is not at risk. They will not lose any money on this. The costs are being borne completely by the credit union community. Credit unions are cooperatives, so in good times, they share the benefits, and in bad times, they share the losses. And this is one of those times where they're going to share the losses, and they do that by, um, by getting an assessment from NCUA. And they've already, already had two assessments for $1.3 billion toward that end. How much is in the uh, insurance fund at NCUA? There's $9 billion in our share insurance fund. $9 billion. And so how much did it, was it, did it cost to do the uh, resolution of those three big ones? Well, we have two funds. We have a share insurance fund, which is um, uh, the fund that insures deposits in local credit unions, and that has $9 billion in it. We also have a corporate stabilization fund so that the two um, funds are separate. They're not commingled. And the corporate stabilization fund has up to $6 billion, but it's on a rotating basis. So every time a payment is made, we get up to $6 billion again. So we can always use $6 billion from the corporate stabilization fund. And so how much did it cost to take care of those three at the end of September? How much will it cost? We're estimating that it'll cost um, between about 7 and and $9 billion over 10 years because oh. the stabilization fund can um, has permitted us to spread the costs out over 10 years. But, uh, I mean, if you're, you're, it's going to cost you 7 to 10, and you've got 6 in there now. Are you, are you going to be raising Well, it's not done like that, really. The 6 ones? isn't being used to pay off the losses. The, um, uh, um, the 6 is really used for liquidity purposes. The credit unions are assessed to pay off the losses. So the assessment that they paid off of $1.3 billion for the past two years has gone to pay down the losses. And that 7 to $9 billion is going to be assessed over 10 years to pay off the losses. I see. Um, if this were to happen, uh, you said there's a total of 22 wholesale. Yes. Uh, and you've taken over five, basically. That's right. That, that means there are now 17 or are there 22 left? No, there are 22 left. I see. There are 22 remaining. And is this likely to happen again, or are the 22 in such good shape that you're not anticipating that happening again? Well, as a regulator, I never want to say never, um, but we're hopeful that these are viable and that we won't have to take over anymore. But, um, but we, we have done an analysis of all of them, and they all seem to be viable. But, you know, it's subject to the economy and to other business factors, but right now they all look viable to us.
So what, what was the difference in the three? I mean, I would assume the 22 also have a lot of mortgage-backed securities that would have plunged in value. What was the difference between those 22 relatively healthy ones and the three that weren't so healthy? It really has to do with their portfolio, their investment portfolio. The ones that we've taken over were very aggressive about um, maximizing their profits and had very large concentrations of mortgage-backed securities in their portfolio. And so when the price of the mortgage-backed securities plummeted, their portfolio, the value of their portfolio plummeted. The others were more conservative, and they had, some of them had mortgage-backed securities, but not, and some of them still hold some mortgage-backed securities, but it's not enough to hurt their portfolio because it was a manageable amount. I see. I see. Okay. Now, ultimately, if, if there were more need uh, than your current fund, you, you have a line to the Treasury as well. Is that correct? We do. Okay. Um, We're going to get into this more. I'm going to take a break right now. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Debbie Metz, who is the chairman of the National Credit Union Administration. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011 on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800 707 1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay because spaces are limited. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Debbie Matz, who is the chairman of the National Credit Union Administration. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. We, we were talking about the uh, these wholesale credit unions and the, the retail, the kind of the ones that consumers would know. Now, you raised the deposit insurance amount to 250000 Yes. At the same time the FDIC did, is that correct? That's correct, yes. And that was part of the Dodd-Frank legislation that the president signed on July 21st that made the $250,000 insurance level permanent. It had been temporary prior to that. So you have $9 billion in the fund, and, and mm-hmm. that is insuring how much? What are the total assets that that $9 billion is insuring? The total assets is... Um, about um, nine hundred billion dollars. Uh huh. So is that a ratio you're comfortable with, nine billion to nine hundred billion? Oh yes. Uh huh. We feel that the insurance fund is adequately capitalized. Uh, because I, I guess you are not closing uh, as many retail credit unions as the FDIC is. No, as I said, we've closed. Or something like that, much bigger institutions, right? We've closed twenty-three so far this year. I'm not sure if there'll be any others. We closed 28 last year. But you're saying that in general the credit union industry is in better financial shape than the banking industry, and you're not anticipating as many. Because the FDIC, mm-hmm. I remember they put out a, a list of some 800 banks at risk that they were, you know, potentially would be closing over the next year or so. No, um, we're, no we're not anticipating anything like that. Um, we might have some more failures this year, um, but, you know, I don't really see any on the horizon, but sometimes they come up unexpectedly. But it, it will probably be at or below the level of last year, which was 28. Yeah. So um, as far as a consumer is concerned, uh, is there an advantage, do you think, of having their money deposited at a credit union and getting their mortgages and their credit cards and so on there compared to uh, traditional banks? Well, I think the advantage of using a credit union is that Typically, they charge lower interest rates and um, lower interest rates on loans and higher interest rates on deposits. So there are generally more attractive interest rates. And I know if you uh, listen to Susie Orman, um, she always tells people, rip up your bank credit cards and get a credit union credit card because the interest rates are more favorable. Is that still true today with, with interest rates on deposits being pretty much at zero across the board? Mm-hmm. Can you still get higher rates? The credit unions that you get from a bank? On the deposits, it's probably marginal on the deposits, but the um, the credit cards tend to be lower interest rates. Now, is that because they're making they're not a for-profit institution, or That's are they taking more risk? I mean, how can no, they no. offer lower rates no. than, than it, banks? It's because they're not-for-profit institutions, and so credit unions aren't trying to um, to please the shareholders. Credit unions take the um, any profit that they make and really uh, plow it back into the institution because the credit union consumers who use credit unions are called members and they're also owners of the credit union. And so um, 
that's the credit unions really are trying to do what's best for the member slash owners. And so they plow the profits back into the credit union generally in terms of lower fees and um, lower interest rates on loans. Is this a good time to start a credit union today? Well, it's a difficult environment to start a credit union. Um, it, you know, it is because um, in order to start a credit union, you need the capital, and it's hard to get the capital and to sustain it once you get it. You really have to have um, a membership to make deposits and um, and to make loans. And so it, it's a tough time to start a credit union. We have charted some credit unions this year, but I think we've charted two of them this year. But it, it's um, it's not it's never easy to start a financial institution. I think it's more difficult to start a credit union, and I think in these times it's even more difficult yet. You hear from a lot of people, at least I do all the time, that perfectly creditworthy, both individuals and small businesses, who in the past would have had no trouble getting loans or lines of credit, just aren't able to get them today. Uh, that the banks have much stricter standards, and the banks are sitting on all this money that they're not lending out. Uh, is that your perception as well? And are credit unions different? They're they're being easier with loans these days than banks. Well, credit unions still do underwriting, of course, um, but they are trying very hard to make loans. And so, I think it might be somewhat easier to get a loan at a credit union than it is at a bank. And credit unions have a reputation for knowing their members and trying to accommodate them. So. They will frequently make loans because they know the member and know that the member will repay even if the member has a spotty credit history. Um, so it is. I think it's sometimes easier to get loans from credit unions, and I think in this environment it might be. Credit unions are trying very hard to make loans right now. Meaning there's not a lot of loan demand, you mean? There's not a lot of loan demand, now. And how about on the business side? Are they doing uh, more small business lending? They are. Um, credit unions more and more are doing business lending. Um, the credit union business loans tend to be very small. They tend to average only $220,000. So it's a really important niche. It's for business owners who really don't have an, an opportunity to get loans from banks because the loans are smaller than most banks want to make. And so credit unions try to, to fill that niche in their community. And they tend to be loans for small enterprises like maybe um, a boutique or a daycare center, Um, you know, typically a small business. So if you're a small business person, uh, do you have to be a member of the credit union to get a loan from that credit union if you're a small business? Yes, that's a good point. You do have to be a member of a credit union in order to get a loan. But, you know, when I talk to uh, to credit union CEOs, they tell me stories all the time about people who had gone to the bank and couldn't get a loan, and so then they came to the credit union. So credit unions do make loans that banks don't make. There's probably a lot of misperception out there about what it takes to join the credit union. Some people think you have to be a member of a particular employer or, or a union or something like that. Mm-hmm. Tell me how things have evolved over the years as far as the ability to join a credit union? Well, that's a good question. It used to be that um, you had to belong, uh, be an employee of a certain um, of a certain employer. 
um, or belong to a certain organization. It was called an, an associational membership. But the field of, and it's called a field of membership. If you're in a particular field of membership, you can join the credit union that has that field of membership. But it's, it's become more flexible now. Um, back in 1998, Congress granted credit unions the opportunity to take in geographical areas, and it's called a community field of membership. And a lot of credit unions have taken, up, taken advantage of that. So if a credit union has, say, for example, um, uh, the city of Alexandria, and you live in the city of Alexandria, then you can join that particular credit union. It used to be what they call the common bond, I guess. Is that right? Is that, is that an old idea that people don't really have anymore in credit unions? Well, the common bond applied to um, to the employers or to um, the associate, associational group. You had to have a common bond with the credit union in order to um, in order to become affiliated with that credit union. And but guess- and it still exists for those entities. There are credit unions that don't have communities that still do business pretty much the old-fashioned way by going after various employers in their community. And if you work for that employer, then you can become a member of the credit union. And lots of credit unions, the majority of them still work that way, but there are an increasing number of credit unions that now have community field of membership, and then anyone in that community can join the credit union. I guess the banks object that credit unions which don't pay taxes are unfairly being subsidized or, or or not competing on a level playing field because they don't pay taxes. What What is the credit union response to that? Well, I have to start out by saying that I'm the regulator. I'm not a lobbyist for the credit unions, and so we really just um, implement the rules and regulations after Congress passes a law. And Congress years ago decided that credit unions would be tax-exempt, and they're tax-exempt pretty much because of the structure that their cooperatives, that their boards of directors are volunteers, that that they're not profit, and probably most significantly is that they are very limited in how they can raise capital. They can only raise capital through their members, and so that's very, very limiting. They can't just go out and sell shares um, or or um, or raise money from from non-members. So they raise money internally, and that becomes what they call retained earnings, and that's their profit. So they're very limited, and that that is the reason why credit unions are tax exempt. Is there any consideration of about changing it? I mean, are the banks are lobbying to make them taxable, or what, what's happening? The banks them? always lobby to make them taxable. It's a never-ending issue. It's perennial. Um, but, you know, as I don't know if there is any traction on Capitol Hill for that. I don't see it, but, um, you know, I, I just don't think there's a lot of traction right now. Yeah. If that were to happen, would a lot of credit unions close, or what, what would It would, would be the change? end of credit unions if they were taxed, because... Um, they'd have to change their entire structure. They couldn't be taxed and still have the limitations on raising capital. Um, they would have to basically become banks. They'd probably have to become community banks if they were taxed. Yeah. And so you and think, a, I mean, what is the special character that's being preserved by giving them that tax exemption? 
Well, I think it's really um, in the consumer's interest to have credit unions for two reasons. One is because I think, by and large, they have more attractive rates for consumers, but also because they provide competition. And so in any market where there's a credit union and a bank, they compete. And generally, the banks try to meet the credit union rates. And so the one who wins, um, hands down, are the consumer's. Are, are credit unions often willing to do lower minimums? I mean, lower minimum deposit balances, that kind of thing. Banks want, want bigger deposits. That's the way it works? Yes. For credit unions, you can usually open a credit union account with $25 deposit, sometimes even less, depending on the credit union and where it's located. So they have very small minimum deposit balance requirements. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is the Honorable Debbie Matz, who is the chairman of the National Credit Union Administration. We'll be back after this. Okay. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011 on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800-707-1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay, because spaces are limited. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is the Honorable Debbie Matz, who is the uh, chairman of the National Credit Union Administration. Welcome back to the show, Debbie. Thank you. Nice to be here. Interesting uh, uh, result recently about the payday loans and uh, yes. how 
credit unions offer an alternative to payday loans. Tell me a little bit about that one. Well, we thought it was important for credit unions to offer an alternative to payday loans. And um, some credit unions already do it, but some credit unions haven't gotten involved with it because it is a very labor-intensive um, service, and it can cost credit unions a lot. So they've been a little gun-shy about really jumping into it, but there's been a desire. And so we, at our September board meeting, um, approved a rule which will allow them to make loans between $200 and $1,000, the loans can be made from one to six months. They cannot be rolled over. And if the credit unions do that, they can charge a fee for those loans of up to 28%, whereas the maximum on any other type of loan made by credit unions is 18%. So we felt that this would provide them an incentive to provide the, these types of loans because they'll be able to charge higher interest, but it's still a very, very favorable rate to somebody who needs that type of cash assistance. So how would that compare, the 28% compare with what you see these uh, payday loan stores all over the place, kind of commercial entities? How would that compare? Well, the commercial, the commercial entities charge the interest rate as hundreds of percent. You know, it could be three or 400%, and that's because um, they permit and encourage the borrower to roll the the loans over, and so they never really get repaid. They just get into this cycle of debt that goes on sometimes for years. And so our loan would just be up to six months, and it cannot be rolled over. They have to pay it at the end of the six months, and at that point, it would cost them only 28% on an annual basis. So you think that that'll be widely offered by many credit unions? Well, I'm hoping that it will be. I think it'll take a while till they absorb it and decide whether or not to implement it. But there is a great deal of interest in it. And there are a number of military credit unions. And, of course, for the military, it's very appealing. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we see the military credit unions doing it first. Let's talk a little bit about the mortgage market and, and credit unions and mortgages. Uh, we've recently had uh, a... Um, stopping of foreclosures, a moratorium on foreclosures by mm -hmm. some of the big banks like Bank of America and mm -hmm. Chase and so on. Um, have, have credit unions had similar problems and had to foreclose on a lot of uh, mortgages and uh, kind of similar situation to what the banks went through? Well, with credit unions, probably like banks, it tends to be regional. There have been more foreclosures in what we call the sand states, which is Florida, Arizona, Nevada. Arizona and California. Um, so there have been uh, more foreclosures in those states than anywhere else. You're saying system-wide it's not as big a deal as with the banks? No, it's not. System-wide it's not, not as bad as it is with the banks, but those five states have been hit hard. The other credit unions have had really secondary effects when um, people can't pay their their mortgages, or if they're out of work, they might not make other bill payments. And so it's been more of a secondary effect than the foreclosures itself. So were you participating in the HAMP programs and various other mortgage modification programs or credit unions offering that as well? Credit unions have been involved with mortgage modifications, um, and they're doing it on an increasing basis. So if somebody's in that circumstance... They've got a mortgage from a credit union. Mm -hmm. um, 
what, what kind of help is available to get it modified so they don't have to go through foreclosure? Well, they should go in and meet with um, the credit union staff and um, discuss with them how much they can afford to pay and the value of their home. And most credit unions are amenable to modifying the mortgage so that they can make at least minimal payments. And, and they will also, at the same time, tend to provide financial education for the for the member and um, free assistance on budgeting and getting through these difficult times. And frequently, they'll also really modify um, their other loans. Sometimes they'll just bundle all their other loans and and come up with and refinance all their other loans so that they have one payment at a lower interest rate. If the interest rate is lower now than when they took out the other loans. Is it a problem of financial education? Do you think people didn't really understand what they were getting into when they were taking on these mortgages in the mid-2000s? Oh, I think that they didn't understand what they were getting into, and they frequently were sold a bill of goods. Um, And, of course, most people thought that the housing prices would just keep going up forever, and uh, a lot of people took out interest-only loans and didn't understand that at some point they had to start paying the principal or that the the interest rates would reset and probably would reset at a much higher rate. And so I think that there was a tremendous amount of of uninformed people. And I guess that's one of the things that the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau is going to address. And in fact, um, Elizabeth Warren has said that that's her top priority, really, to make sure that people understand the mortgage documents. She wants to simplify those documents so when people sign them, they understand what they're signing. Because you know they're about an inch thick. Very few people really go through them, and if they do, even fewer understand them. So that would be a, a huge step forward towards helping consumers in the future. What kind of efforts do credit unions make to educate consumers about financial affairs so they don't get into these kind of troubles? Well, many credit unions offer financial education seminars of various types. Um, they'll either do it at the credit union or sometimes they go to schools or to um, to community centers, and they'll offer um, anything from how to buy a car to how to buy a house to how to balance a checkbook. Um, sometimes it's very basic, sometimes it's more sophisticated depending on who they talk to, but it's not unusual for credit unions um, to offer various types of financial education and it's free to any of the members who want to show up for it. And you're saying this is something more than what the commercial banks tend to do? Well, I I can't really address what the commercial banks do, but I know that it's something that credit unions do and that they are very proud of and they feel very strongly about. What are the impact of the financial regulation bill, the Dodd-Frank bill that was recently put into law? How does that affect credit unions? Well, um, it's going to set up, um, it's going to establish consumer regulations that credit unions will have to comply with. Um, most credit unions will still be examined by NCUA because only financial institutions over $10 billion will be examined by examiners who are employed by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. The other financial institutions will be examined by either the NCUA or FDIC, whoever their examiner is. And there are only three credit unions that are over $10 billion. So all the other credit unions will continue to be examined by us, by NCUA. 
but we'll have to examine for the regulations that are um, that are promulgated by the new agency. So, do you think this is overall a good move to have the uh, financial regulation bill? I mean, some people say it was uh, kind of overkill—2,300 pages. It's going to promulgate a huge amount of regulations after all the damage had been done to some extent. Well, it's true. It's very long and complicated, but I think it's very important. There was no one to protect the consumers before. Um, You know, they really got caught in this mess and have paid a very high price for it. And this will ensure that that doesn't happen again. So I think it's very important to do it, and I think it will be a tremendous assist to consumers you know, just if they change, if they did nothing else but simplify the mortgage uh, documents and the privacy notices, I think it would be a huge step ahead. So, what are some of the specific things that consumers or credit union members can expect to see different uh, because of the FinRAG law as far as consumer protection kinds of things? Well, you know, that remains to be seen. As I said, um, Elizabeth Warren has said the first thing she wants to do is simplify the privacy notices and the mortgage documents. So, of course, that would affect all borrowers, not just credit union borrowers. But at least for the time being, I think it's going to be pretty much business as usual for credit unions. And we do examine for consumer compliance. That's an important part of our exams when we go, each, we go into each credit union every year. And we do examine to make sure that they're meeting the consumer regulations and that they are in compliance with all, all the consumer rules that are out there. So you will be promulgating new rules because of the FINREG, like on the way the mortgage documents look and other kinds of things? Is that the next step here? Well, I think it's unclear whether we will have to promulgate new regs or whether they will promulgate them and we'll have to comply with them. You know, I'm not sure how it's going to work, whether they'll just put the regs out there and then we'll have to comply with them. Or like with the other financial regulators, I mentioned the the FIFIAC panel, we all agree on regs. And, you know, if we want to change a reg that affects all of us, we'll agree on it, but then we each do it on our own. So I'm not quite sure how the uh, the Consumer Bureau is going to work. Are there other areas in addition to the mortgage area where you think consumers have, you know, been getting a bad deal or not having ap- adequate disclosure or where you need help in new regulations? Well, certainly um, the uninsured lenders, like the payday lenders and the um, the pawn shops and the uh, the rent-to-own stores, they're all unregulated now, and some of them are extraordinarily predatory to consumers. So I, I see some regs coming down um, to uh, to really curb uh, their, their predatory behavior. Yeah. Uh, in the investment arena, as far as encouraging members to invest in stocks and bonds and mutual funds, is that something that's going to be growing with credit unions? Um, no, I don't see that, really. Um, credit unions don't get involved with investments very often. Some of them are affiliated with brokerage services, but it's not done by the credit union themselves, usually. Mm-hmm. It's an affiliated brokerage service. And so they generally don't encourage members one way or the other. It's a service that's there if a member wants it. I see. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is the Honorable Debbie Metz, who's the chairman of the National Credit Union Administration. We'll be back with more about credit unions after this.
market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011, on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800-707-1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay because spaces are limited. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is the Honorable Debbie Matz, who is the uh, chairman of the National Credit Union Administration. Welcome back to the show, Debbie. Thank you. We want to talk a little bit about the trends in credit unions recently and as far as deposits. I mean, they're paying very low rates, but uh, what are some of the, the trends in uh, deposit levels at credit unions these days? Well, we've seen... Um a tremendous increase in deposits at credit unions, even though the rates are very low. Um, as I indicated before, people tend to take their, have been taking their money out of risky investments such as real estate and the stock market and putting them into insured financial institutions, despite the fact that interest rates are so low, they just want them safe. Just give me some general numbers. I mean, how much have some numbers? grown? Well, we've seen about a 5% increase from June of 09 to June of 010, from June of 09 to June of 2010 in deposits at federally insured credit unions. And, uh, but you're saying the same is not happening on the loan side? No, loans have been pretty flat. So is this something that you would recommend? I mean, if people want to make their money grow, uh, it's nice to have it safe, but if it's not earning any interest, is that... Something you would well, recommend it depends do? on what you have a stomach for and what how old you are. Um, 
you know, if you're risk-averse or not, if you have a family. You know, it really depends on your personal circumstances and how much risk you want to take. But if you want your funds safe, uh, putting them in an insured financial institution is a really safe place because the funds are insured up to $250,000 per account. And as I might have mentioned, we've recently started a campaign with Susie Orman, who is partnering with us to make sure that people understand that their accounts are insured up to $250,000 per account and that they should make sure that their accounts are set up properly so that they maximize the insurance. And we have... If you have a joint account, say a husband and wife, it would be better to have two separate accounts, each in their individual names? No. How should people handle that? That's a good question. If you have a joint account, it's insured up to 500000 I see. But then, in addition to that, you could set up an individual account. You can. Your names and get an additional 250000 That's correct. Right. And we have on our website, which is ncua.gov, what we call an e-calculator. <clears throat> and you can go on to it and just plug in some very simple information about your account and your balances, and it'll tell you whether your accounts are fully insured or whether you should go in and talk to the personnel at the credit union and see how you can, um, whether you should set up another account or, um, or take some other action to make sure that your accounts are insured up to the maximum amount. And how about with a child? Uh, should it be in their own name or should it be joint with a parent? How should they handle that? Well, you know, again, that's a personal preference, but if it's insured with a parent, then it's insured up to $250,000, uh, up to $250,000 per person, per parent. So if it's one parent on the account, it's insured up to $500,000. Yes, okay. Uh, another area you wanted to talk about was underserved uh, communities. Mm-hmm. What are credit unions doing in that area? Well, um, about 40% of the credit unions are what we consider very small credit unions. They're $10 million and under, and they tend to be located in low-income areas and tend to serve low-income people. And we try to help them as much as we can. We have an office of small credit union um, of small credit union initiatives. But in addition, when we provide community charters to credit unions, you know, I talked about the fact that credit unions can have different types of charters, and one is a community charter. We um, encourage them to demonstrate how they're going to serve all the people in the community, including and especially low-income people, and they have to submit a business and marketing plan. And then if they get the community charter, when we examine the credit union each year, we go out to make sure that they're doing what they said they were going to do because we feel that's a very important part of their responsibility. And if we give them a community charter, then we expect them to serve all the people in the community. So these are areas that, in many cases, commercial banks would not be located or not have branches in the credit that's union. That's exactly the right. Institution. That's exactly right. In many cases, the credit union is the only insured financial institution in these neighborhoods. And so they provide a very important service because not only are they insured financial institutions, but when they are located in those neighborhoods, um, almost invariably they provide excellent financial education courses. Are they taking more risk because they're dealing with a lower income, maybe less educated population? Well, yes. I mean, in some cases they are taking more risk, and so therefore they need to have more capital in order to protect themselves. But the credit unions that do it are very committed to doing just that. They feel that that's their mission, and they take it very seriously. 
Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, that's certainly something that people should look at in, in particular areas. That they might be the only only player in town, I guess you might say. And that's then, right. This is also true within um, labor unions. Is this is that the biggest part of the the credit union business is is uh, offered to labor union members? No, I mean there are some labor unions that are in a credit union's field of membership or some that might have their own. But, you know, I think that's a common misperception that credit unions have something to do with labor unions. Um, it, they might, but it's just happenstance. So credit unions um, can have um, other large employers in their field of membership, um, but it's not necessarily a labor union. Are there international uh Associations of credit unions as well, and, and when you, you know, have a domestic one, do you have rights overseas if you go to a credit union elsewhere? Well, the only credit unions that have rights overseas, by and large, are the military credit unions, and there are probably about, I'm guessing, about a dozen of them, and they are located on military bases. Every military base has a bank and a credit union located on it. And... Um, there's only one bank and only one credit union, so they really compete for the rights to operate on those. Um, and the UN Federal Credit Union, which also operates overseas, but by and large, the credit unions operate domestically. I see. So if you're going overseas, um, travel checks and things like that, can you get money out of an ATM in, in oh, Paris on your credit union or something? How can you operate overseas? If you're absolutely. Your debit card and credit cards work. Um, just like they would do with a bank. They work overseas. I see. There's, there's no difference in that. Yes. Are, are credit union members in general in better financial shape than non-credit union members because uh, of all the education and the various services being cheaper and so on? Is that, are they, you sense they're in better financial shape? I don't know. I don't know if there's any analysis that's been done of that, but certainly credit union members can and should take advantage of the financial education that's offered, and and they they do. And very often, credit unions will go into schools and offer financial education courses in the schools to, to the young kids because so many kids graduate and don't have a sense of how to balance a checkbook or or keep their debit card in the black. Very good. All right. Well, thank you very much. So this has been the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour has been the Honorable Debbie Matz. Uh, chairman of the National Credit Union Administration. Uh, we've had a very good overview of everything going on in the credit union world. So thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Debbie. Thank you. My pleasure. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next.